Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the heartland, I am delivering them to you from the heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Tell your neighbor, tell your friend. You'll not hear it from me very often, but tonight is one of the few times you will. I'd appreciate it, dear loyal listeners, to tell a friend and or neighbor about Fear from the Heartland. There are so many of you that I enjoy chatting with each week and I would love to chat with more of you. Oh yeah. Smash that like button as well, please. Two tales, two new authors. Both stories are strange and different. Kind of like me. (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm back. Stories by Brian James Gage and Blake Blizzard. Let's get after it. It's spring 1917. World War I rages across Europe but these German woods are haunted by something worse than war. Real-life 17th-century Baroness Elizabeth Bathory, child kidnapper and supposed cannibal, is a mere rumor and nursery rhyme. Or so we think. Elderly Herschel Guterbach is determined to prove his relevance as he's put in charge of his grandson Oscar for the day. When a rare black butterfly is captured, Herschel is persuaded to do the unthinkable. Overcome with a supernatural, mysterious, and suddenly destructive instinct, Oscar and Herschel suffer a fate on par with, or worse, than the World War I atrocities committed around them. And now for your indulgence, The Death Witch by Brian James Gage. Peace can be found even in times of war, thought Herschel Guterbach. Hunched before his rustic kitchen's sole window, he placed his liver-spotted hands on the rim of a deep basin sink as his pupils reflected the picture-perfect spring day. A cloudless sky of radiant blue crowned a hardy forest in the short distance, which shifted ever so slightly with the stirs and lulls of a gentle breeze. On days like this, Herschel could see all the way to Mount Hohenzollern, far off in the distance, He was not a superstitious man, but ever since childhood, a local nursery rhyme rang through his mind whenever his eye caught the mount's distant silhouette. 
Lock your doors and try to hide. She always finds a way inside. When blue skies fall to ashen swirls, the death witch comes for boys and girls. After 82 years of living in Zemurn, Herschel wanted to believe he was immune to the legends ingrained within his community, but a small shiver always pricked him center spine when he recited the rhyme. He knew missing persons had been reported over the years, but nearly all of them were outsiders, vagabonds, or drunkards. Herschel had never heard of any kidnappings in his town. It was merely folklore, silly superstition. He recalled the numerous times he and his childhood friends ran for their bedroom closets and slammed the doors tight when rain clouds appeared in the sky. So far as Herschel remembered, all of his friends had grown into happy and healthy adults, most staying right here in Zemurn. He came to believe the nursery rhyme was told to children to keep them from getting caught in the rain and catching a cold. As for rumors of the Thule Society, Herschel had never seen any evidence of the fabled apocalyptic cult that supposedly lived near the base of Mount Hohenzollern and offered human sacrifices to its haunted forest. Indeed, no. A stand-up leader such as Kaiser Wilhelm, a brash, fearless emperor who declared war on Serbia after they assassinated his dear friend Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria-Hungary, would never allow such criminality to fester within Germany. Kaiser Wilhelm was a man of God. Herschel continued to stare out the window, transferring his gaze from the mount to his backyard and the tree branches shifting leisurely against the azure sky. A sense of optimism welled within him. Today was Herschel's big day. His wife and daughter had left for Berlin to visit relatives, and he was acting as guardian to his grandson, Oscar. He had planned a busy schedule of activities for the boy, everything from cooking hearty meals together to playing Schafkopf by candlelight while drinking hot cocoa to teaching him how to bait a hook before their Saturday visit to the local fishing hole and especially teaching Oscar the infamous family secret of using bologna to catch fish. Knowing his health was in steady decline and treating each day as if it could be his last, Herschel had every intention of making the weekend memorable for Oscar. When his wife and daughter returned, they would marvel at what a wonderful guardian he was. The house would be tidy and Oscar would gush over the endless fun he had had with Grandpa. No more talk of Herschel losing his faculties, no more quiet whisperings about his incontinence, and no more speaking down to him and coddling him as if he were Oscar's age. Herschel would put an end to the heated debate as to whether it was safe to leave Oscar alone under his care. He wondered for a moment where Oscar had run off to and decided to finish his chores before checking up on the boy. The cold water pouring over his hands triggered his arthritis as he washed his morning teacup and he scornfully wished his wife had cleaned before leaving for Berlin. While watching the water pour from the faucet and swirl down the drain, Herschel was reminded of a new invention he had heard of from America that heated water before it came from the faucet. He envisioned what the device might look like and how the warm water would soothe his arthritic hands. He then questioned whether he could afford such a device and where it might fit in his modest kitchen. Grandfather, look! Herschel peered down to see his grandson standing outside, just below the windowsill. The golden-haired child held his hand high. A black butterfly perched on his finger. The insect flapped its wings as the boy extended his reach, and Herschel noticed an unusual marking on its pinions. He placed his teacup on the counter, released the window latch, and opened the pane. Herschel then pulled up the spectacles hanging around his neck and placed them on the bridge of his nose. Very good, Oscar. Gently bring it closer. 
Oscar crept toward his grandfather and stood on his tiptoes, holding the butterfly as high as he could. Herschel inspected the bug. He believed it to be a swallowtail, but had never seen one with such a marking on its wings. The white oval spanned both wings with a small black circle on each half, giving it the appearance of black eyes on a white face. Toward the insect's posterior, the oval grew narrow and jagged like sharp teeth. Herschel was convinced the shape looked like a human skull. Marveling at the strange marking, he grinned and glanced back to his grandson's face. Look at that, he said. I believe you found yourself a swallowtail. Very beautiful and unique, this one. Swallowtails are good luck. Today must be your day. Oscar smiled, revealing his missing two front teeth. I want to name her Clara. Herschel reached for a dish towel next to him and dried his hands. A lovely name for a lovely... Oh! His blue eyes shot upward as he watched the swallowtail fly from his grandson's hand. There she goes. I'll catch her, said Oscar. He turned and ran after the tiny black body. Careful, Oscar. Be delicate with our new friend. Herschel leaned into the basin and felt at ease as he watched his grandson give chase to the butterfly. He was pleased his daughter had come back to live with him while his son-in-law was away on the front lines. The country air would be good for Oscar, he thought, watching the child race after his catch. This weekend would indeed be perfect. Herschel's gaze moved to the trees and a sensation of worry came over him. The forest looked suddenly ill. The verdant greenery and healthy wood appeared morose, as if the leaves had fallen limp and the bark had grown to black scabs. Something's not right. Herschel pushed his glasses higher in his nose and studied the woods. The idyllic weather from moments earlier darkened, and a fog began emanating from the trees like some toxic, sullied exhale. The mist swirled into his backyard as clouds formed above the tree line, churning ashen and tin. When blue skies fall to ashen swirls. Oscar! Oscar, still intent on the butterfly, ran into the fog. A violent gust of wind blew the window shut. Herschel was startled, yet relieved to see the panes remained unbroken. He hobbled away from the sink to the back door and snatched his cane. The moment he opened the door, growing winds tore the knob from his hand. He planted his cane on the ground and shuffled after his grandson. Oscar! Away from the fog! The whipping wind felt almost rabid upon Herschel's arms as he aimlessly wandered into the thickening fog. He felt disoriented and nauseous while breathing in the misty air. Tastes like decay! Herschel gagged as the stench became more pervasive and he wondered if the vapors were some chemical attack. After stumbling around for another moment, he noticed a gray lump on the ground just ahead. Herschel walked closer and positioned his glasses to see Oscar huddled on the earth, his hands domed above the grass. Oscar, obey me, boy. Come back in sight. I caught her, grandfather, said Oscar, peeking into his hands. Come see. Herschel had nearly reached his grandson when a strange sensation came over him. The more he struggled toward the boy, the farther away Oscar seemed, as if some invisible force were stretching the earth between them. Oscar! Quickly now, come with me, he said, extending his hand. Oscar released the butterfly and it sailed into the air against the turbulent winds before disappearing into the fog. The boy stood, but appeared rigid. He ran his hands over his forearms. I feel cold, Grandfather. Herschel again tried walking closer to Oscar, only to see the ground between them push the child farther away. Herschel stood still. 
Am I having a stroke? The thought vanished when he saw the hooded figure emerge from the fog. It was tall, lean, black. Its angular skulled face was crowned with the horns of a 12-point buck that rose into the murk like bony lightning rods. Herschel shivered at the sight. Oscar, now, come now. He motioned Oscar toward him, hoping the child would not look back. The boy tried to take a step forward but froze, seemingly gripped by some ghostly force. Panic filled his eyes as he once again tried to move forward. He raised his fists and slammed them against the air, banging his hands onto an invisible barrier. Herschel dropped his cane and stood shaking as he watched the figure fully materialize behind Oscar. Its black cloak flowed outward from its body and slithered over the ground toward the child who looked down and whimpered as its slender tendrils enveloped him. Grandfather, help! The boy was silenced as the cloak swallowed him, his entire body disappearing into the black mass. Herschel attempted to yell, but let out only a frightened grunt as saliva dripped from his dentured mouth. The slim iota turned to him and raised its long white index finger to its skeletal mask, revealing a decayed fingernail. Give me back my grandson! Quiet, it seemed to say, as it placed its finger to its bony mouth. Please, whispered Herschel, his voice quivering. I can't lose him. The figure lurched over Herschel and seemed to grow taller against the drab fog. He fell to his knees and cowered as its horns extended toward the heavens, conveying the sense that he was a captive. The gnarled spikes now his prison bars. It then reached upward, pulled back its hood, and removed the mask. Herschel shook violently at the sight of her pale gaunt face and spindly hair sucked of its color. Arthritic pain ripped through his knee and finger joints as the convulsions ground his feeble bones together. What sounded like a murder of crows shrieking in unison rang out all around him and he covered his ears. A wet sensation warmed his thigh as he stared at her. Nausea chewed into his stomach when he noticed she had no eyes, only sockets scarred dark blue with blackened varicose veins that spread onto her cheeks and forehead, shifting like earthworms just beneath her skin. She did not speak, but her intentions were clear. She had no eyes, yet her gaze pierced the deepest part of his being. In that moment, he knew. He knew exactly what she was. The death which comes for boys and girls. As she moved closer to Herschel, he felt no cold, no warmth, only an unfathomable void. Herschel saw inside her mind a sadistic psyche born of a million tiny razor-sharp mouths with silvery fangs grinding onward to infinity. She feasted upon all mirth and devoured all joy that encircled her rapacious heart, only to regurgitate some fragment of light before swallowing it back whole until only vacuity remained. Herschel grew transfixed upon her. He felt the urge to worship her, to offer something unto her. Why, yes, he wheezed. For you, yes. Herschel smiled and calmly raised his hands to his face before forcefully ramming his index fingers into his eyes. Hooking his fingers around the back of his eyeballs, he could feel his fingernails scratching the insides of his sockets. He then shoved his middle fingers into each eye and found the leverage. Then he pulled. White and blue flashes filled his vision the harder he tugged, reveling in a pain that he knew pleased and fed her. 
Squeezing both optic nerves between his fingers, Herschel let out a great wail and tore his eyeballs clean from his head. Blood ran down his cheeks as his eyeless face peered up to her. He took in large, lingering breaths and extended his hands, holding his eyeballs before her like some grand offering. Her black cloak snaked over the grass onto his skin and embraced him up to his shoulders with a sensation of damp, vile hopelessness. Yes, said Herschel, his neck falling limp. Take everything. The Death Witch glared at Herschel for only another moment with no expression on her face before placing her deer skull helmet back upon her head. Her cloak released him, and her cruel shadow melded into the mist. The winds calmed, the fog dissipated, and the sky turned blue once more. The sedate spring day returned, shining its hopeful rays upon Herschel's withered, pallid corpse still kneeling on the grass. Black and broken capillaries blossomed across his body, and in his outstretched hand sat only a black butterfly gently flapping its wings. The swallowtail took flight and Herschel's body crumbled to ash. His dentures fell to the ground as gray dusty whispers of a man who once was floated across the perfectly manicured grass. Catching the breeze, the winged silhouette fluttered upward against the calm sky and sailed on toward the distant shadow of Mount Hohenzollern. I hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, The Death Witch, by Brian James Gage. Brian James Gage was born and raised in Youngstown, Ohio, and spent most of his adult life in Los Angeles, California. He's the author of the multi-award-winning novel, The Nosferatu Conspiracy, Book One, The Sleepwalker, and is currently promoting his second novel in the Nosferatu Conspiracy series titled The Sommelier. In addition to writing, Brian is an aspiring classical pianist studying with the French Conservatory of Music in West Los Angeles. To learn more about Brian James Gage, check out his website at briangage.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-G-A-G-E.com. Or Instagram, instagram.com slash Conspiracy. That's N-O-S-F-E-R-A-T-U-C-O-N-S-P-I-R-A-C-Y. You can also find him on YouTube. Search Nosferatu Conspiracy. A mysterious item that can do anything. Nothing. No one knows. People have traveled all across the world to find it. I have never been closer. I just hope it does what I think it does. And now for your indulgence, The Birdcage by Blake Blizzard. Corpus Christi Caller Times, Corpus Christi, Texas, December 30, 2020. The Mysterious Artifact That Doesn't Exist But Everyone Is Still Looking For by Ben Reed Those in the know refer to it as the item. Supposedly, this secret item is worth untold riches, can cure cancer, or make the Detroit Lions win one Super Bowl in their miserable existence. Joking, of course. Nothing can get the Lions to win. 
but this artifact, or item, slowly transcends from a small group of modern-day Indiana Jones explorer to the mainstream suburban adventure seeker, a true urban legend that has enthralled thousands. One of the thousands is Ms. Ella Carter, who I had the genuine pleasure of talking to about this topic. I asked Ms. Carter exactly what this item was, physically. Her response was ambiguous at best. It's not really in a physical form per se, she stated. I, of course, have not seen it yet, but I believe it will shift to what your mind perceives. I went on to ask her where this item has been all this time or where she thinks it possibly may be. I've been following it for almost five years now. I can't say where it's been because I don't want ill-meaning travelers to ruin those small beautiful towns and villages. To be clear again, I have not been in possession, nor have I seen it, but I know where it has been through my investigations. As a side note, I will say that Ms. Carter seemed genuinely convincing. Like most people, she believes that the sky is blue in this ghostly item. I'll go on with the rest of her response. I will say that I have never been more certain of its current location. The item will be found soon. Intrigued, I went on to ask what this mystery item actually does. Are any of the rumors true? Does it cure leukemia, give people superpowers, or make you telekinetic? With a slight laugh, which seemed a little condescending, she stated the following. <laughs> Honestly, I do not know exactly, but I do know it is life-changing. I know this, and you can find this true happiness in the land of the smallest and biggest creatures in the world. I sat up so fast that I knocked over my energy drink and tablet, soaking the Corpus Christi Caller Times virtual article. This has been what I've been waiting for. Not spilling my drink. I've been following the item for most of my adult life. My name is Dwayne Slate. People call me D. I'm a writer. I have fortunately had two somewhat successful psychological drama-type novels produced in the last six or seven years. I do freelance work and write short stories for the internet between novels. It's creative life. I did a deep dive on the aforementioned subject for a YouTube video and its curtains ever since. I've put every resource I have available into tracking the item down. I'm burning through my novel royalties like an insert addict using insert drug. I start laughing as I look at the mess I made. Despite the feelings of dread I've been consumed with, I laugh. Alien-like green liquid all over my desk, spiked with an unseen clear liquor. Vodka to be specific. It's only 11 a.m. I don't start the brown stuff until at least after 5 p.m. Dims the rules. I'm also laughing because I'm reading some local newspaper from the southern part of Texas when I live over 1,000 miles away. I'm reading it because I have several Google alerts set up for any information on this item. One is the lady being interviewed, Ella Carter. Once I opened that alert and saw the title and the date, I knew I was about to connect a few pieces to my years of chasing the rabbit. Ms. Ella Carter, I will get into shortly. The date, December 30, is my birthday. I turned an odd 37 years old in the current year. No friends, no family left that wants to talk to me. Only two books that a few thousand people gave a shit enough to read. Dread is my normal baseline in my life. Quick note, it's just a personal observation. Shouldn't we call it a day of birth or our birth date? 
I'm pretty sure we only have one birthday. The rest of our lives are celebrating the birthday, but I'll continue. After I cleaned my table and tablet, I looked at the article to make sure what I read was what I thought. After slamming down the remaining energy drink, I made my breakfast. Two 7-Eleven breakfast burritos. Talk about living the life of Riley. I've always been interested in urban legends. I first found out about the item when I was a teenager. I can't remember where exactly, but I believe it was in a library book. I didn't have much to do as a kid, and reading was my escape. If you remember the book fair or the mobile book day, there was always a tiny section of urban legend and weird books for kids. Sasquatch, aliens, ghosts, general spookiness made our little brains go crazy in the imagination department. I happened to read this paragraph about an item that could grant you any wish you desire under a forgettable modern urban legend paperback. Even as a youngster, I understood this was probably all made up, but I loved the idea, and I never forgot it. I'd find mentions of it in many media. I dove deeper. I found a subreddit dedicated to the item. I traveled to places in the U.S. I heard it might be. I believe I was closest when I red-eyed to Savannah, Georgia. For those that know, they know. For the uninitiated, it's one of the most haunted places in the United States of America. It was here that I found the missing link, Ella Carter. My research led me to one of the hundreds of cemeteries dotting the mossy landscape. Usually cemeteries are peaceful. Most souls here have been buried according to their wishes. The dread I feel now though, damn. As I looked for the tombstone I believed was where the item would be, I saw nothing. You missed her, a voice whispered from behind me. What the fuck? I slightly jumped, spinning in a 180 to see a nice old woman standing in front of me. Oh, I'm sorry, child. Don't be afraid. I tried not to scare you. Holding my chest, I took a deep breath and spoke. No, I'm sorry, miss. I'm sure everyone here is tired of tourists trouncing through your beautiful cemeteries. Heavens, if you boys want to attach yourself with multiple voodoo or God knows what else spirits, we don't mind. Less for us. She said that last part with a wink. Okay, lady, I thought in my head. Um, you, you said I missed her. Who could you possibly be talking about? Ella, she said, looking at me like I had three heads. I know what you are looking for. She's already closer than you. She's always closer. She comes by here a lot and says the energy always pools in this location. She also says she's not afraid of competitors. No one is better than her. Jeez, lady. She sure is confident to brag to strangers. I thanked her and backed away out of the cemetery slowly. The old lady watched me the entire way. I surfed the web as hard as I ever had that night in my hotel. Wi-Fi was exceptional. I shredded the waves of binary that night. I found the Ella I was looking for through my usual research sites and my subreddit friends, Ella Carter. For lack of a better term, she's the expert in the field of the item. She's closely guarded the lore and locations of the item. The gatekeeper, if you would. After setting her name as a Google alert, I've gotten a few crumbs here and there, but nothing like the big carrot I just got. She said you could find the item in the land where the largest and smallest creatures exist. 
I knew from some random junior high school the fact that the smallest mammal and largest fish could be found in the area of the small Asian country of Thailand. The bumblebee bat and whale shark call Thailand home. Next stop, Thailand. It's not like I jumped on a plane that night. I had to sober up. I needed to clear my head. Funny that I could solve that sentence that Ella uttered immediately. You know how we all remember strange random things. Why would I retain the knowledge that the smallest mammal and largest fish reside in Thailand? I'm sure it was interesting to me at the time from whatever teacher uttered that dumb fact. I do like bees and whale sharks, so maybe that's all there is to it. I'm sitting at my local airport 10 hours later. I never planned to board a plane to freaking Thailand in my life. I know only about the country is that the Street Fighter 2 character Sagat calls his home there. He's no slouch either. He's the second to last boss on the arcade to console fighting game. Seriously though, that's all I know about Thailand. Well, and they may allegedly have these ladyboys around as one of their prime sources of entertainment. I won't be able to find out. I have a lot of work ahead of me. Quick note and insta update. I'm hammered. I treated myself on a Delta flight. I bought whatever package got me free booze. Preemptively, I can't wait to shake off the impending hangover so I can find the item. The liquid courage is coursing through me, telling me that I will finally be the first to uncover what this otherworldly beast is. Maybe it really is a beast, an animal. No one knows, so it could truly be anything. Maybe it's a candlestick. Maybe it's a bar of soap. Maybe it's a three million year old demon. No one can say otherwise, not even Ms. Ella Fancy Pants. Okay, I think I've finally imbibed too much free drink, which is a sentence I hate typing. I'll go to sleep now. See you in Thailand. The sun is burning through my 28th story hotel room. It's a decent view. I have a giant glass window that lets in entirely too much of that view. I don't even remember how I found this room. I think I decided to rage when I touched down. Looking around with that familiar day after haze, I correctly identify my most crucial possessions. Keys, wallet, and phone. My clothes were in my suitcase too. So far, I'm up. I hope I didn't decide to visit one of those legendary ladyboys last night. I wouldn't remember anyway. Downing the crappy coffee provided in my room's suspect coffee maker, I clean myself up and head down to the lobby. My journey is just getting started. Luckily, I am a professional at recovery, so the hangover will subside very soon. The caffeine is a good head start. All I need is some grease to back it up. Look at that. A good old American Mickey D's just 10 steps from the front door of my hotel. I'll be headed to the capital today. Damn place tasted like Ronald himself from Illinois cooked my sausage and egg McMuffin. Delicious. I don't have any good reason why, but I have a burning sensation in my body that this is where I will find another clue from Ella if I don't find her in person. I hope that's the burning sensation I am feeling, and it does not relate to anything else. Hey everyone, D here again. Sorry for the lack of updates. It has not been a good week here in Thailand. I found something though. I found jack shit. I also did find that the Thai creams here are loaded with Thai rice wine. I bring them all to my room, 
I'm live streaming as we speak to my seven or 8,000 viewers on Twitch. This is in real life as it gets. Yep, another day of nothing. I even have a dumb note on my table by the TV. Wait, what follows is a really fancy script. Dearest Duane D, thank you for completing the puzzle. Almost. I'm more than impressed that you've traveled more than 5,000 miles to find the item. You're so close, closer than most have ever been in the history of the world. I won't make it too difficult. Come to where the 24th meets the N. It's easy, like I said. You might be asking why. I don't have a clear answer for that right now. It'll be easier to speak face to face about it. See your face soon, Ella. I tossed the note towards the stupid glass wall that exposed me to the glorious view of downtown Bangkok. As depressed and anxious as I was, I can easily admit how pretty the skyline was. The dread has once again started to eat at my belly. Wait, the note said 24th and N. I've looked through every possible combination of 24th Street and Street starting with the letter N. Nothing. Big old fad zero. I was stuck with the dread consuming me like the venom symbiote consumed Eddie Brock. Then it hit me. Ella said base not once, not twice, but three times. I drunkenly walked by one of the most popular franchises in this wonderful country. Face to face to face noodles. That's how it translates to English. It's not that wordy in their language. Now all I have to do is find the noodle store with the number 24N. A simple search reveals that it is merely one mile away. Even though I've ravaged my body with booze, I can still walk and run without too many issues. Non-smoker, too. Despite all my issues, at least I don't smoke dirty cigarettes. That must be why my cardio is still decent. I had a good pace going as I came upon the noodle store of destiny. I could see the sign from quite a distance. The neon sign flashed yellow and red in what I'd guess are one to two second intervals. It comprised of a big bowl of noodles. Shocking, I know. One motion was chopsticks in the bowl, the next lifting out with a huge ass helping of tasty noodles. I tried my best to sober up in record time and focus. I called my years of Metal Gear Solid PS1 experience to make my way to the noodle shop stealthily. The dread was releasing. The realization that I might accomplish something in my pathetic life was covering me like a fuzzy Sherpa blanket. That lasted for a good 10 seconds. I tripped into the door, rocking those alert bells that some older stores have above their door. This was an accidental trip, mind you. It was not from the rice wine. I could tell it was her from the moment I regained my footing. She was facing me, cupping a moderate-sized bowl of noodles. When she lifted her eyes to meet mine, she aggressively inhaled and simultaneously expelled a huge amount of broth and noodles. Impressive. Wayne, you made it. Is that a question or statement? She was just staring at me in awe. This is something I was not used to. Okay, I'll talk then. I proceeded to expel a brief history lesson on myself to Ella. The depression, the closing myself off, the bullshit attempt to connect with people through my writing and pathetic streaming career. I also explained that this item was keeping me in the game. 
The feeling of dread I became used to over the last few years had finally gone away once I got here. I finished with a simple question. Where is it? Ella warmly smiled. She wasn't attractive in the traditional sense, but she wasn't a pile of mud either. No one has ever been closer. It's in a lesser-known palace, just 20 miles away. At a brief moment of clarity, Okay, hold on. So you've always said you don't know where this item is exactly, but you're always close. The old bag in the cemetery told me you already got the item. Ella brushed her dark hair back. Your mind is clouded right now, D. Go get some rest. I'll meet you at 8 a.m. sharp. No more puzzles. Meet me at this address. She slid me the address on a noodle napkin. I took one last long look at her, seeing if I could tell any more foolishness coming from her. She challenged me right back. We could have made an energy ball with how hard both of us were staring. I don't have to be some alpha. I'll submit it. I looked away and headed toward my hotel. I'd rather have the item than win a staring contest. I wake up fast and uncomfortable. Opening my eyes, it looks like I'm in the middle of a waterfall. It was the giant bucket of cold water Ella threw into my face. I instinctively try to get up, finding that my hands and feet are tied to an old steel chair. You made it on time, Ella spoke. I quickly attempt to take in my surroundings. Looks like we are in the middle of a long abandoned crumbling temple. I'd guess it was an ancient monastery developed over a thousand years ago. How did I get here? Why did this happen? These are just two thoughts running through my head, which feels like it's being peppered with hammers from those little turtle hammer bros from the original Super Mario NES game. The dread is back. Ella comes close to me, taking a deep squat to meet me at eye level. We don't have much time. I'm sorry it ended like this for you, but I'm not sorry for me. I've held on to this albatross for too long. It's time that someone else takes the misery. She studies my face, knowing I could not possibly be more confused. I've always had this. She stands back up and walks behind me where I cannot see. When she returns, she has a dish with a cover on it. It's like what an old school waiter would hold before they take the top off and reveal desserts or dinner, or you know what I mean. I hope. What I see is so comforting, so rewarding. It's a golden birdcage that could maybe fit a smaller size parrot. I'm not making much sense, I know. The dread is gone again. Look, think of something you love. That's a tough one for me. Look into the birdcage and imagine something you love, she says more purposefully. At that moment, my childhood German shepherd appeared inside the cage. It was like a holograph. The sight of my old pal Chip made me so happy I instantly started sobbing. I stared at him running, rolling around, chewing on one of the massive bones we got him for Christmas. Just like that, she snapped her fingers and made it disappear. I see. This is some kind of trick or voodoo or something. Let me go and I will forget this. I spit at her. I won't call the police or tell anyone what happened. How did I even get here? This doesn't make sense. You were obviously meant to achieve this, D. We are all impressed, Ella coos. I suppose it's time to put the last puzzle piece down for you. The dread. 
That mischievous bitch was coming up from my stomach to my throat again. The birdcage, as you'll know it from now on, is an impressive item indeed. It seeks out a soul that is on its last ride, full of pain and has nothing left to live for. I started to sink, but now you have an item that can give you anything. You can live forever. I start to understand. With my eyes on the ground, I ask, So what's the catch? I wasn't looking at her, but I could feel her smirk. She knew this was coming, obviously. Well, you'll be a prisoner to the birdcage until you can find someone to take it from you. Your family won't remember you. Your friends, if you still had any, won't remember you. The birdcage will take away what truly makes you happy. You didn't even know what did make you laugh or cry or enjoy in your real life. Now you never will. You can do little parlor tricks and even amass a small fortune, but it'll be empty and hollow like this old temple. I slowly pick my head up to meet her gaze. So now I'm the gatekeeper, huh? How did you reach out and finally get my ass more than halfway around the world to get it? I've been researching this forever. Why don't you just get it over with when I first started this? Oh, Duane, she scoffed. I've been trying for over 300 years. It's not as easy as you think, but you'll find out. I don't want to spoil any surprises for you. Let's just say that you can't use your energy to get through to fellow adventurers that easily. You'll figure that out. So how did you get me here? The last thing I knew, I was looking at your stupid face at that stupid noodle place and then I was here. You remember me slipping you that napkin with the address on it, right? She said. Of course, I didn't want to agree with that quickly. I know you do, she said. That's the last step to passing over the birdcage. I know it seems easy, but you'll see how hard it is to get to that last step in the next few hundred years. And yes, I was looking at you dumbly because of the shock I was in. After so long, I finally got one. I got one to take me out of this torture. I was like you, D, depressed, angry, sad, lonely. I wanted so much more. I stumbled onto this mystery item that cures your life just like that. That's all I wanted, D. I'm sorry, it's a myth. There are no quick fixes, but I need out of this life. And now I'm here. I am typing to anybody, typing to nobody, trying to pierce the veil of whatever dimension will grant me access. I need someone to take this cage away from me. I thought my life was bad before. At least I could get drunk. Now I drink all day every day and don't feel anything. This item takes and takes and takes. It squeezes the last amount of joy you have. I'm looking for anyone to take this pain from me. I've planted clues, literally and figuratively. I hope to God someone takes the bait. I don't want to be in this cage anymore. I hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, The Birdcage by Blake Blizzard. Blake Blizzard grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is probably where his fascination of fear started. He lived in the woods and had heard and seen some pretty strange things. After reading 
scary stories to tell in the dark, he fell in love with all things scary and has been writing ever since. He still lives in Michigan, just in the Lower Peninsula. He is currently finishing his BA in sociology and has been in law enforcement for almost 14 years. All of Blake's original stories can be found on Reddit at the letter U slash Leo of Alexandria. That's L-E-O-O-F-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-I-A. You can also find his YouTube channel, Blake Blizzard. If you enjoyed tonight's story hosted by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley, you can search my name on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for additional previous stories. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks. Available now on audible.com or just visit paulsbooks.net. That's P-A-U-L-S-B-O-O-K-S dot net. You can also find me personally on Facebook and Twitter. And with that, listeners, our weekly journey into the psyche has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host for Fear from the Heartland, Paul J. McSorley. I've enjoyed the titillation tonight. Ooh, there's that word again. Thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again next week at Fear from the Heartland.